Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. I am so excited, so, so excited. I'm learning how to play. I'm getting better at playing. I am playing, and I get to have a conversation with my friend Jennifer Loudon. And if that name sounds familiar and you've been a longtime listener, She's done several interviews, and there was a period of time that she co-hosted the show with me. We had these great conversations. We'll put some of the links in the show notes so that you can go and listen. She's got fantastic energy, total go-getter. She's a writer. She is a personal growth pioneer, and she helped launch the concept of self-care with her first bestseller, The Woman's Comfort Book, and she sat on Oprah's chair and talked about that book and created quite the rumbling for the world, (laughs) for the American society. So just so you know, if you do have children around, you want to put in some earbuds because there is some foul language in here. So be aware. But welcome my friend, Jennifer Loudon. We're having a fantastic conversation that I hope gives you some insight, some permission into your own journey. Jen Loudon, my friend, welcome back. Oh, it's so good to hear your voice. Oh, this is so lovely. Let me just bask in this. this is the best part of my day, Jen. Mm-hmm. Best part of my day. I haven't talked to you in a number of years. So I'm so thrilled to talk about your latest book, Why Bother? And catch up with you about where you're at right now. So first, let's talk about Why Bother? Why did you write Why Bother? <laughs> I have been trying to write a book that I'm utterly in love with and proud of for about 15 years. And this is my seventh or eighth book. And I honestly lose track because there's been some gift book editions and things in there. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, I don't know how many books I've written. I really don't sure if some books don't count or not, <laughs> different editions, things like that. But And I love my other books, but I always felt like I was I don't know. There, I had a lot of misgivings about some of my other books or the process of writing them. And I always felt there was something really deep and different that wanted to come out of me and I didn't know how to get it out. And that's why I wrote this book. So I love it. Like here you are, Miss Comfort Queen, right? Mm-hmm. You were on Oprah's couch. You know, you started the whole self-care revolution. And I love the evolution of where you are and you're like, yeah, but I finally got to write a book that I loved. Not that you didn't like all of them, right? But Mm -hmm. I loved and I loved Why Bother. So thank you so much. Thank you for your vulnerability. I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. She's going there, right? I was like, wow. And it was late at night, early in the morning. I think it was this morning or yesterday morning. I got up early, like at five and I'm like, I'm going to read Jen's book. So I've really enjoyed it. But it's so interesting because I think of you and I'm like, really? She was on Oprah's couch. She was leading the self-care revolution when we didn't know what self-care was. And she had struggles that I can identify with. Hmm. How is that possible? Well, <laughs> you, you actually you know the answer to that question. I do. <laughs> you too have, you know, as a coach and a teacher and a podcaster and a coach of people and children and swimmers and, you know, 
we don't lead because we have it figured out. We don't write because we have it figured out. We lead and we write because we're willing to have questions and we're willing to get in the mess. And it's just the way our human brains work is that when we think someone has been successful, we put them up on some kind of done pedestal, like, oh, they're done. And, and that actually is part of the story that really led me into my own deepest, darkest, why bother time. It was that there was some place I was going to get to that I would be done and that I wouldn't have these forever human struggles and letting that go and letting go of the knowledge that everything is not fixable. I think that was another really dangerous place that I spent way too many years of my life. And I think it's fostered by my personality, but also by the personal growth world that I've spent a lot of time in that like everything can be fixed. Everything can be figured out. No, it can't. And there's actually so much freedom and even joy in knowing that and just a lot of letting go. Because the question of why bother is not a question of, of course you should bother. It's a question you need to ask yourself genuinely and not think you know the answer to. Hmm. Be open and curious, right? Be open and curious, but also be willing to realize that life is never figured out. It's never done. You're never arrived. There's never an end point until you take your last breath. And that's not how our brains function. Most of our brains, some of our brains function very well that way. I should say my brain doesn't function well that way. And of course, I still fall into this to arrive at some place where I'm like, okay, got it figured out. And the pandemic is a hysterical, <laughs> hysterical moment in this, right? I had this entire year of events and book signings and all these dreams and plans, not one of them has happened. <laughs> yeah. And it has been profound to keep going back to my own book and going, all right, we need to let go because if you keep holding on, nothing new can come. I know you launched your book right at the start of the pandemic. Yeah, I know. I know. We saw that come and I started obsessively following the pandemic in January because I went, oh man, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. And, you know, when the early adopters, which I'm not usually an early adopter, you know, it was, I felt so crazy. Right. And I would be having these conversations with my assistant being, I think we're going to have to cancel everything. And she is an American, but she lives in Germany because her husband is a professor in Germany uh -huh. <laughs> of anthropology. She was like, really? I don't think so. And then I was like, oh, it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Well, was it as bad as you thought? I mean, for the pandemic or for me? For you. The um, pandemic is like yeah, the it's, shit show. Yeah, it's a total shit show. Actually, it's been worse. Yeah, we started off really strong. The book came out of the gate really strong. We thought we were absolutely rocking sales. And then really, it was the great, as I call it, racial reckoning. Because mm -hmm. I pulled the plug on everything. Because I really felt like as a white privileged woman, it wasn't time to be talking about my work at a fulcrum moment in history. And while I worked very hard to write a book that is not written from a place of white privilege as much as a white privileged person can and really, really calls into question the personal growth bullshit that we can all have the life that we want and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and think our way there. You know, those thoughts that you have, like, what do you do? Do I have bad karma? Was I a bad person in another life? Why is the book that I love the most, yeah, is it going to die? So, you know, I'm definitely working through those moment by moment. <laughs> And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jen, for sharing the inside of your brain, right? And those thought errors that you're having, because we blame ourselves mm. for this time of 
why is this happening? What did I do? And really, none of us caused this global pandemic, right? Or at least you and I didn't. We did not. (laughs) (laughs) And the pivoting that both you and I have had to do in 2020 has been pretty ferocious. And then especially, you know, as you share further about, you know, the racial issues going on and you pulling the plug a bit on this book, but here we are again. And it goes back to that idea and personal development you were touching into of this, I call it the promised land, like, right? Like, let me just mm-hmm. get there and everything will be bliss forever. It's a total big lie. Mm-hmm. And there's also this idea of this is how you need to launch and market a book. And this is how it needs to rank for it to be successful, to be worthy. And what if we just call BS on that, Jen? You know, I went for a run this morning. I've been teaching writing every morning to an amazing group of people this week. So I've been getting up early and just going for a short run and definitely live my, walk my talk, fit in my self-care, fit in being a good mental state to teach. And I got home and I sat on my porch for a few minutes to breathe and bask in that feeling of I did it. And I had this thought, which I honestly thought, and I wrote about this in the book I had worked through, but you know, there it is again. And the thought was, you can be happy even though the book's not doing what you want it to be. And I know it sounds a little sad, maybe, or like, no, duh, of course you can be happy no matter what your book sells. But it's so ingrained in me that I have to be successful to be happy. Mm -hmm. So I'm still working through that story. I'm a way thousand times better than I was, but I'd like to get to the point, like my husband, like this would never occur to him to think that. Well, I don't think he has the, quite the programming that you and I have going on. <laughs> <with our brains. laughs> I mean, he's super ambitious. He's been super successful uh-huh. in his field, but you know, he decided for the last five years of his career to take a big demotion and to do field work again. And his ego is so out of it. And I'll say things like, "You should be running that organization," and he just laughs at me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to. <laughs> So how was it for you like to birth this book and to really be so vulnerable and expose yourself? You know, it's not really been much of an issue. And, you know, everybody listening, if you haven't read the book yet, I tell really deep stories about my life and especially a particular period in my life. I think because the setup for this book was that I wrote for four years and a total of 500 pages an attempted a memoir that totally didn't work. Now I pulled pieces of it out and reworked it for this book. And I think in that process, I worked through so many feelings and so many views of myself and changed so radically that when it came time to share some of the stories or write new ones, of course, it just didn't feel like a big deal or do you, like the sting of it, the shame of it, those things have been worked through. But I have to say, this is very funny. Of course, there is an exception to that. When I realized I had this moment, I was recording the audio book. And so there's a audio engineer listening and there's a director in my ear listening. She was in Atlanta and I'm in Boulder County and Colorado. And I'm deep in the stories. I'm reading it. I'm totally like back there reliving things. And then every now and then this little part of me would pop out and go, oh shit, they're listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) And then I would think a lot of other people are going to too. (laughs) And then I would just go back in. So there's definitely been moments or like having friends read the book and then not say a word. And you're wondering, oh, I wonder if they think I'm crazy or like they didn't really want to know these things about me. (laughs) And I just shrugged. Oh, I just loved you more. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
Part of it is, again, with the personal development that we're talking about, right? There's this aspirational thing that you and I were talking about. And you brought truth to it. You said, here is our own evolution, Mm. right? It's an evolution. And just because I have these tools and I know how to do this work and I know how to live or I've had the success doesn't mean that there's not unraveling that happens. Doesn't mean that there's not falling down moments. How could there not be? I mean, that's what I want to normalize with this book. It is normal. It is inevitable. It will continue throughout your life that you fall into, find yourself lost in wondering, why bother? Why bother to stay married? Why bother to launch another successful business? Why bother to stay in this job? Why bother to stay in touch with my sister? Why bother? And what we do right now is a couple of things. We don't actually notice that we're asking a question. We assume yes, I should stay in the marriage even though I'm unhappy or I should leave because I'm unhappy, right? It is too late to become a writer. It is too late to learn improv. We just assume, we assume we know the answer. And what I'm saying is, no, that is a wake-up bell that is so natural. And this is how we keep evolving. But if we fall into the story, we're supposed to have done it differently or supposed to have figured it out, then we will not bother. There's stories people in the book who decide not to bother about certain things, right? Who decide that it's more important to stay in the comfy job they don't really like because they want the money. And that's okay. It's the not deciding. It's the not choosing. It's the not being willing to look. It's the thinking it's supposed to be a different way than it is that I want to call people out of. So how could I not fall apart? You know, and I went through a a couple of years that were like the Job years, right? (laughs) But I stayed stuck because I wasn't willing to ask the question. I wasn't willing to follow my desire. I was a little bit, like enough that I got into a wonderful second relationship, but then I started second guessing it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was your story that you should have done differently? Oh man, you know, like I had so much early success with those first books. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should have kept that brand. I should have owned the self-care comfort space. I should never have gotten tired of it. I should have started an essential oil company. (laughs) You know, who knows? I could go on and on. I'd have my own spa line. You know, I stumbled into this stuff so early. And there were so many things that I was talking about before anybody else in the mainstream was, which is now an incredibly, it's a $2 billion industry. And I do not mean this to sound like this is a great thing, but I am someone who has to keep innovating and learning. And even though sometimes I'm like, really, you seem like you're talking about the same things that you always were talking about, but there's something in me that feels like it's innovating at least. And I just got so tired of talking about comfort and self-care and it felt so white woman privileged. It's felt so much about what you bought. I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. But You know, and I noticed that too, like sometimes I work on something and I just want to like, when I was at the college, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was teaching health and I'm like, I'm going to be really great at teaching this general ed course. And I would go through and I figure it out and I'm like, it's going to be easy one day. I'm going to get it all set up (laughs) easy. Right. And then, then I'm like, well, this is kind of boring. So let me learn how to teach it online because I've been the first online teachers, you know, and I'm thinking this is kind of BS to have online health, but I'll go through the training. Oh, okay. Well, I think that works. I'm going to revamp the curriculum. Okay. Now I'm going to create the systems online. And I did that. Right. And then I got it to a place where it's easy. And then I was like, okay, well, enough of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I totally relate. I totally relate. And, you know, 
I forced myself over the years to teach things over and over again, to create systems. And I made more money because of that, but I could only force myself so far. You know, I could only force myself so far. And is that a bad thing? No, I mean, no. I think the thing that I would say to younger me who rebelled so much against the comfort stuff is comfort and self-care is really a giant canvas. And what's ironic is in the Why Bother book, one of the things that I come back to is if you're not paying some kind of regular attention, you're the minimums that you need to stay sane, to stay in touch with yourself, to stay healthy, you will fall into Why Bother even if everything in your life is peachy keen. And so I think it's all just a mind game that I played with myself. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) welcome to being human. (laughs) We make everything so difficult. (laughs) So let's talk about this evolution that you've been going through and in the process. And I'm so glad that you shared that for four years, you were writing your memoir, right? Mm -hmm. 500 pages. So for the non-writers out there, can you give them perspective of, what 500 pages in four years means? It means a a lot of hours, (laughs) a lot of hours that I could have been, oh, I don't know, having fun or earning money or (laughs) doing, you know, fun things with friends. Half my business is helping people bother and half my business is helping writers both get started and believe in their voices. And a few writers I'll help through to publishing projects. And One of the things that I see over and over again is that, especially for people who identify as women or raised as women, that it is so profound to claim your voice and your stories and really stretch to connect to someone else and not just write them in your journal, but really flesh them out, which is what I did in that 500 pages. It failed as a narrative arc. It was a collection really of stories and it just didn't hang together. So that's a structural question. But in the writing, I really came to understand myself in a whole different way. There was almost like an alchemy that happened. So I don't mm-hmm. regret it, but it was a lot of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But could you have written this book without that no. process? No, I couldn't have. I think that's an important message for creatives, for writers. And I think that's an important message for everybody because we get into this transactional mindset. Yeah, we do. If I do this, then this should happen. No, God, I'm so guilty of that, girl. I am so guilty of that. I think that's the big transition in my own heart and soul that I'm in the middle of is letting go of some of that transactional attitude towards my creativity and work. I'm not transactional towards people, but I I think I'm not. At least I hope I'm not. No one has ever said I am. If you think I am, don't tell me now, but tell me later. (laughs) No, but I'm really been reckoning with the cost of that in my own creativity. Say more. Well, because I was the sole, the most supporter, not the sole supporter, but the most moneymaker in my first marriage for many years, we were married for 18 years and he was a cinematographer, still is, and he just never really made it. And so I was the one who kept that economic engine going with what that comes with when you're a creative and you're self-employed, right? I had a straight job for a year of my life. And I also like a certain level of comfort and security. So I wanted to be saving money for my daughter's college. I wanted to be, you know, we owned a house, never like a, you know, glitzy lifestyle or anything like that. I mean, I only started to take vacations in the last, well, 12 years since I met my second husband. 
So there was a lot of pressure, I think, and your ideas and your creativity become something you can sell. And then when the internet world came about in the last 15 years, right, and we started to learn about marketing and sales in a whole different way, and lots of that has been really generative because I believe marketing our work is one of the things we have to learn as creatives. But can we learn to do it in a way that's healthy? And I think sometimes for me, it wasn't always healthy. I also have had some good friends who become very, very successful And sometimes that's tainted my viewpoint a lot. Like I had to keep up with them or I had to do as well as them because I I can be competitive. And then I was raised by a father who always expected me to be more successful than he was. And he was pretty successful. And I used to have the story like, my dad pulled himself up by his bootstraps. But, you know, through the eyes of white privilege that we've been learning, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, we're like, oh, yeah, but he had someone he could borrow money from. And he was a white man. And, you know, so he worked really hard. But I I really recognize that that's a, a different story. I tell it a little differently to myself now. Like this too old thing is absolutely pull. And, you know, there's all this body of research that the mindset that we have about so many things, right? There's mindset mm-hmm. research just, just thrills me. And the mindset research about aging, what the story you tell yourself about aging affects your lifespan. So if you tell yourself aging sucks, you'll die sooner, up to six years sooner. Wow. That's an important thing just about the story. Yeah. The story that you tell yourself, like, just enjoy and own and love your experience instead of, oh, I'm aging, I'm getting so old or, or, you know, yeah. Interesting. I'm getting wiser. There's so many benefits to aging. I love being this age. Yeah, it's huge. So with this idea that I'm so far behind, because I think a lot of my listeners can resonate with that. Mm -hmm. I'm so far behind. Why bother? It's too late for me. Why bother? Jen, what do you have to say to that for the listeners? You're giving up on future you because the present you doesn't think you are where you should be. And that's pretty cruel. Does present you and future you get a vote? I think the other thing is, is one of the things that comes up a lot when it's too late is we're going back and judging younger us by today's knowledge through today's eyes what you know now. This is really tricky and people will fight me on this, but if I coach them through it, usually I can get them to see that because I have to listen really closely, right? And they'll say something, I'll be like, "Uh uh-huh, notice that you just said blah, blah, which shows me that you're actually looking at younger you through the eyes of what you know now, but what did she actually know? What did he actually know? Where were they? What was really possible for that person? Because so often too late is really about what we think we should have done sooner, Mm -hmm. who we should have been, what we should have accomplished, the person we should have married, not married, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of one of the questions I ask my clients often is, what's your capacity? What was your capacity then? You know, because- Great question. Like we'll use COVID for an example. You know, when COVID first happened and I was trying to figure it out and there was like, are we going to be open tomorrow? Are we not going to be open? Are we open in two weeks? Right. All of this stuff, my capacity to create my brain juice, none, right? Like trying to write for my newsletter was huge. It was a hard struggle. Trying to, you know, do a podcast was hard. Anything that was creative, my capacity was tapped out because I was trying to figure out this new world that we were living in. So it was tapping all that brain juice that I have. So that's what I always use is the term capacity. What is the capacity that I had? And I had to learn during COVID, especially in the beginning, to give myself grace. 
I had these plans and this is all that got done today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because of the the background stress, but also this much decision-making and changing and letting go of things and not knowing if things are going to change is huge mm-hmm. when it comes to our cognitive resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when we hit, you know, all the you know, Black Lives Matter and the social injustices. And I was supposed to be creating a workshop at that point. And I had all these plans and I was supposed to create it. And I sat in my office and I was like paralyzed, Jen. I just, I couldn't do anything. And I'm like, what is going on? Especially a person who really values being productive and getting shit done, right? I just couldn't do it. And finally, I just had to say, Corinne, you're taking it off your schedule for this month. So I didn't do it until July, right? I just had to just pause. And Again, it goes back to my question to you about, you know, what if you just call BS on this whole how to market a book or how to launch a book? Like this was part of the plan for 2020 and this needs to happen now. And it's like, but I don't have capacity. I (laughs) had a lot of that happen this year, a lot, or that we were ready to go with the training and then the Black Lives Matter and everything began. And I'm like, we can't offer this. We can't talk about it. There's no room for me right now. And that's okay. But it was like over and over again, it was like we were at the edge of something and then the edge, we did not jump. How do you sit with that? Like you have a plan. Like we're like, hey, great. We have this plan. We're going to do this. Oh, (laughs) this is happening. I need to change it. So how does that work for you internally? I find that I am trying to get more comfortable with uncertainty, but I maybe have made a little progress this year, but not as much as I would like. And it wasn't until we canceled everything for this year, because we kept holding out hope, right, that we could do September, maybe October's events. And it wasn't until, you know, things started to spike again. And and we're like, this country is just screwed until we get a new administration and a vaccine. So we just have to cancel everything. And it was that, it was the letting go that really allowed me to go, okay, this is how it is. What are we going to do from here? So I think that's the thing I'm always trying to do is come to the place where I can let go and see clearly and create from here. But sometimes it takes me a lot longer than I wish it would. Would you call that letting go? Would you call that acceptance of this is what is right now? Yeah. Yeah. Letting go of what was, letting go of the plan, letting go of the vision, Mm -hmm. letting go of the fantasy. I'm a great fantasizer and really going, okay, yeah, this is what is, this is acceptance. And it's hysterical because one of the biggest meditation practices I try to practice and try to teach is acceptance, letting go, welcoming, welcoming our experience, welcoming, you know, whatever feelings are here. It doesn't mean we have to like them. Acceptance doesn't mean we like it. But that's really our truth. We always have work to do. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, and the nice thing is like, and I, again, going through this COVID period is it was like, okay, once I got to Saturday, once I got to Sunday, it was like, okay, it doesn't matter if I have capacity or not. I'm just going to sit here or I'm going to go for a walk or because I wouldn't even go on hikes and stuff because I didn't want to leave the proxy. It was all about bathrooms for me, but I did a lot of walking and I did a lot of crying because that's just where I needed to create that flow inside of me so that Mm -hmm. I can come back and have capacity come Monday Mm -hmm. for the work to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you hoping that your readers take away from Why Bother? Well, first of all, to really normalize everything we're talking about, to normalize the unknown, to normalize the uncertainty, the lost places in time, to be able to come to acceptance when things end or are taken from us like this year has done for so many of us, like life does when we lose people we love, life-changing loss or what I think of as more you know, ordinary loss that we all experience. 
to really normalize it so that we can keep evolving is the first thing. And the second thing is, is to really know that there's always more available. If you desire more, even as faintly as I want more blue sky, I want more cherry tomatoes, more is available to us. And I think we give up on more. We shelter ourselves, we hide from it, we close our hearts off to more because we have experienced loss, disappointment, humiliation, shame, and all the other bits of life. And I want people to know there's always more and the more won't be the same and more changes as we age and more can look really, really different than we wish it would, but it's still possible and not to give up on life. That's been, I think the thing that I've been interested in and curious about since I was little, how do we not give up on life? So as you're saying this, Jen, I'm thinking of why bother is the pathway to having hope. Yes. Hope in that, not in that I'm going to get it done or figured out or it's all going to be perfect, but hope as in look at this beautiful day. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the miracle that's today? You know, again, I went for a run this morning and we had some great rain yesterday, which we really needed. And I run out part on a trail today and it was super wet. And my feet are all soaking wet. And it's muddy. And I'm like, ah, and stopping to see the water and the corn and there's hot air balloons. People go up in hot air balloons a few miles away. And, you know, that, that as hope that their life is here saying, please live me, express me, come to me. I'm here for you. And and you may put a divinity with that. And that's great. I think of it as just the life force expressed and lived and enjoyed. Mm. And this is something different than when we're talking about that achievement, that success, and how do I measure, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not the hope for like, oh, let me get this tally sheet. This hope is very different of what we're talking about. It's like your way of being and it's existing and seeing and living and experiencing the life around you. You know what? My daughter has been asking me for years to get a tattoo with her. And I've always been like, man, what are we going to get tattooed? And I think I've come up with mine. She's not interested in getting the same thing, which so it might not work because she wanted to have the same tattoos and she doesn't like words, but I would like to have the words tattooed on me somewhere. Be here for it all. Ooh. So she may get a flamingo. I'll get that. (laughs) My kid would never get a flamingo. She's more sophisticated than that. (laughs) So what does be here for it all mean to you? Yeah, it means that when I'm in this place of wonder and grief about my book, can I be here for it? Can I be awake to it? Can I feel it? Can I not run away from it? Can I not skip ahead to my fantasy when it's all figured out? Be here for it all means... When I have dinner later tonight with friends, you know, can I slow down? Can I taste my food? Can I see their faces? Can I be curious about what's going on for them instead of running to say what I want to say? You know, be here for it all was slowing down to feel my wet feet this morning and look at the sky. And I was dancing in the middle of the street, you know, like be here for it all is because that cool song came on my headphones. Be here for it all is just cherishing this time that you and I got to be together, you know, over and over again, just you know, really enjoying being in the space together, remembering other conversations we've had. So appreciating and opening to your intelligence and and care. Aw, I just love this little love fest we're having today. (laughs) Not really. Like I think, but also for me, be here for it all. It's just not the good stuff, right? It's be here for it all. Mm. Next time Bob and I get in a fight, like, can I slow down and be here for it? 
can I like, what's going on here? What's going on for me? Can I be here for that first sip of coffee? Can I be here for, we're going backpacking next week. Can I be here for when I'm like, I don't want to go up that fucking hill mm-hmm. <laughs> mountain. We'll be up, you know, up in the Rockies. and like, Oh man, no, I don't want to sleep on the ground. <laughs> I think that's why I liked why bother so much because it's not just about, Oh, let's like, look at this, the, you know, the unicorns and rainbows right? It's not just the good stuff. Like be here for all. It's not just the good stuff. It's all the stuff. No, that's what my desire is. But I think it's important because like, and I'm always talking about that too, is that we're going to have the bad feelings or, you know, the painful feelings, but if you don't, you know, Brene Brown talks about this. If you don't feel the painful feelings, you can't feel the good feelings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to have this range instead of thinking that there's just this one area that we need to be in. We want to have this range. And so one of my mantras, and that the last probably couple of weeks I haven't been using it because I was like really grumpy about it. But one of my mantras for the last five or six years is I live an amazing life and there are shit shows everywhere. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I think that be your fertile is the same thing. It's like, it's stop privileging the good over the hard. Stop slowing down to savor the perfect chocolate mousse that we get from the bakery at the end of our street and start savoring frustration and boredom. And when I don't want to stay here with my writing and when I'm tired. And I also think it's a really important thing for my personality because I tend to get into, again, that striving, that arriving place. And I always will, right? It's just hardwired into me. I move fast. I talk fast. So I think this be here for it all is a counterpoint to that too. It sounds like, Jen, you have a lot of internal reflection that goes on. I do. I have a practice of reflecting as part of my work, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is I create an audio every week for my membership site. And so I do that as I create it. Like I do it alongside everybody. So that's really built into my life. I have had a meditation practice on and off since I was little, sometimes off. It's been off a lot in the last few years. I do journal. I'm not in any way like a daily journal. I've never thought that was necessary, but that's where I go to reflect, to write. And I'm always thinking about like as a teacher and a coach, I'm always wanting to learn. And I feel like if you're not learning and applying things to your own life, then it doesn't work Mm -hmm. to be in that conversation with other people. Mm -hmm. Something's dishonest. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I really try to do is when something goes wrong in my life and, and something really went wrong recently is look at my anger at other people and think, okay, so where have I done that to someone else? But then I can look at, I can step away from that and go, okay, what would you do in this if you were that person? And, you know, to find that compassion and self-learning. So I think it's one thing to have the boundaries and say, uh-uh, nope. And then over here going in my own private Idaho. Hmm. I love that question. Where have I done this to someone else? Yeah. That's a great question. Reflection is so important. And again, we talk about brain juice and space and, you know, I don't know about you, but I know for me, like being that achiever, it was like, oh, I don't have time to think. I I gotta get stuff done. Yes. That is so not good. (laughs) Right. It's just like, it's like when I work with writers and they're like, if I didn't write my thousand words today, I'm not writing. I'm like, oh my God, no. When are you going to plan what you're going to write? When are you going to do structure work? When do you actually organize your material? No, it's not just writing. All those other things count. And the same thing for our life. When do we do our strategic planning? When do we do our inner work? When do we keep up with our emotions? I have a great friend. His name is Charlie Merrill, and he is a PT here in Boulder. And he did a seminar last night about running, and he's really into the pain science. 
And he's always teaching us about how, when we have pain, chronic pain, not pain because you broke your leg. So often it's some emotions that you haven't brought to the surface and worked with. And we've got to make time for that. That's got to be part of having a healthy life. Yeah, that's definitely a permission we need to give ourselves, right? To Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That one's really hard for people to do. It's like, wait, you want me to get in touch with my emotions? Yes. <laughs> I know. It's so interesting. So we did the seminar last night and then my husband wakes up this morning and his back's really bothering him. And he knows that this is an emotional thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Bob, something's been brought up. I listened to Charlie last night and I'm like, maybe want to do some journaling about that. And he kind of looks at me like, you know, like I'm telling him to go stick red hot poker. <laughs> you know, so the part of the seminar he liked last night was all the warm ups and the exercises and, you know, all the technical stuff and the mm-hmm. other stuff. It's not that he doesn't believe it. He's much more comfortable talking about it. And of course we all are. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, emotions, you know, I, I mean, being an athlete and then I always talk about being half Korean and my mom, you know, she survived two wars, right? She was a war refugee in Korea. But I remember when I was 11 years old and I was crying and she goes, save your tears for my funeral. Like I had that message of don't have emotions. Like you just got to barrel through and get stuff done. And that's how she survived and overcame. So between that and being an athlete, I learned how to not have emotions and connect with emotions and, you know, doing this work and over the years of being comfortable with doing emotions. And I can't tell you how often, like if I'm on my bike and I'm going really hard and then all of a sudden just tears just come out. I cry when I run. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm comfortable enough to be like, it's okay. This is what I needed. Thank you. Right. And it's true. I mean, I think that's really wonderful that you bring up your mom and a lot of us, at least at a certain age, have been influenced by immigrant parents, by poverty, race issues. Like there's a lot, the cultural context of why we don't do or can't do certain things, or they're not harder for us to learn. It's so vital that we recognize that it doesn't become a story of, well, that's not for me, or I can never do it, or it becomes a point of curiosity, but don't blame ourselves. Like I would, my parents told me, don't cry. You know, they didn't like uncomfortable feelings. Mm -hmm. So it's still hard for me to cry. You Mm -hmm. know, my husband cries more easily than I do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just kind of laugh about it. I'm aware of it. I'm like, well, maybe I need to watch a sad movie. (laughs) (laughs) Go for a hard run. Like what tools do we use to access those feelings if thinking about them or talking about them in therapy or journaling about them doesn't work? So before we go, my last question to ask you is what is your why bother story? Mm, Right now? Mm -hmm. You know, I do feel like I am in a transition. I worked so hard to write this book and to get it out in the world. And then when the pandemic happened and everything fell apart, you know, and then we regrouped and, you know, so I think right now my why bother story is really getting curious about how I can follow my ideas in my book and really just really listen closely to what I desire and not freak out about the fact that I'm going to make the least amount of money this year that I have since I was probably in my 20s. I mean, I need to take care of business. I need to make sure we're okay and pay the mortgage and all of that. But I also need to be really listening to what are my desires. And I feel like something different may be shaping up for me. And maybe it's, again, that sense of innovation that won't look that different on the outside, but it'll feel different on the inside. But I'm asking myself that question a lot. How do I want to work with writers going forward? Do I want to keep leading retreats? 
you know, what do I really want it to look like? And it freaks Bob out, you know, <laughs> it freaks Bob. He's like, no, after the pandemic, you'll just go back to the way things were. I'm like, I don't know, honey. What do I want that to be? So I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know. But being engaged in the process, I think that's the other real message about the book that I really want to get across is that I feel like what's been missing in the conversations about transition is this inside process where we, this little cocky part where we find what the desire is next, not where we make the plan, but where we actually get the desire going again. And that's a lot what the book is about. Oh, I love it. Before we go, I want to circle back to when you were talking about being engaged in the process and this evolution that you're having in your career. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's very similar to this book. Mm. Four years, 500 pages. That's not the book that became the final product, but there are parts of it that you took to then make this book. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I'll be calling you for some coaching. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are the parts that I'm taking? What are the parts I'm leaving behind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's a great question. I'm always telling other people, coaches are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just remember that, Jennifer. Note to self. <laughs> we go back to that transactional, like, oh, this should be the plan, or this is what I'm supposed to do, or this is what everybody else is doing. And it's really vulnerable to be in the space that you're in right now where there's mm-hmm. a change that's happening, right? A dissolving that's happening. And I know with myself, it's about, and with my client, I mean, it's so much easier to do it for your clients because you could see you're right. You're on the Mm -hmm. outside of it. And when you're on the inside of it, it's like, can I trust that it's all going to be okay? I I know. Through the tunnel. I know. I keep telling myself, absolutely. You can trust it. And I do feel that way. And I tell you, I'm actually kind of amazed by myself because I am so ambitious oriented towards, okay, how much profit did I make this year? Those kind of questions that I'm like, wow, you're really okay with the fact that your assistant told you, no, we're not going to do the numbers this call because you'll be too depressed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, really? That bad? She goes, yeah, I don't think you're going to make anything above your salary this year. I'm like, well, my salary I'm paying myself is not very much. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, wow. I didn't know it was that bad. (laughs) And that's also unlike me not to be tracking the numbers really closely myself, right? Yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting times. The space that you're going through, I think there's going to be something on the other side that you're going to really enjoy. So you have all these other skill sets. And that's the thing that I've seen so often with people is that we have, it's, you know, as Pam Slim says, it's our body of work, right? We have all the stuff that we bring. We just don't really understand how it's all going to come together. And that's the hard and the brave part of it is to have faith. We're like, but I'm going down this path. It doesn't make any sense. Why am I doing this? This is not logical. And we forget we're creatives to begin with. <laughs> and then when you get to the other side and you're like, this totally makes sense on the frontier, you're leading the frontier. And that's not even the right word that I'm looking for, but you are the person that's paving the path, but then you're expecting it to be a clear cut path. Yes, of course. I mean, I, it's so funny that you say this to me because I'm always saying this to people, you know, and they're like, well, okay, well, how do I figure out what I'm going to bother about? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not that you, you want to go to the plan already. This is about the step in between. This is before the plan. You go to the plan too soon. It's going to be too small for the person who you become. Ooh, I like that. You know, maybe you're just tired. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're just tired and maybe everything will be great when you're not tired anymore. Mm -hmm. And you can actually leave the house. I thought to myself today, I think when this is all over, I'm going to become an extrovert. (laughs) (laughs) And I sold that to a client earlier and she's like, yeah, I'm like the first time I, I actually crave like 
going to a party. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be interesting. It's coming out of this. Well, my friend, thank you so much for coming. It's been so great to reconnect with you and talk with you. And we need to do this some more. (laughs) All right. It was, I really, really appreciate you having me on. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. That was my friend, Jennifer Loudon. She is such an amazing woman. Love her energy. So if you are looking for some real stories, real stories, not the fluffy aspirational stories, but real authentic stories, go check out her book, Get Why Bother. We have a link in the show notes for you to go to her page. And she has a whole bunch of resources and really delve into them. One of the things that I've said since the beginning of time of this show, and we've been going since 2006, is I look at the show as the windows of possibility. If this is possible for them, what is possible for me? And the thing that I love about her book is she talks about her falling down moments, right? Her success stories, all of that stuff. And it brings comfort to know that you're not the only one. You're not the only one that's having these struggles and that you can overcome. And like I said, why bother? The way I see this book is the pathway to hope, to hope for a great day tomorrow or the hope for good things to come. And right now, especially in this middle of this global pandemic, we all need hope. We all need hope that there's going to be a great future and there can be great moments today. The other thing I love is her potential tattoo, the be here for it all. How are you being here for it all? And I mean everything, right? That's the thing I love about Jen and we've talked about for years is this idea. It's not that you get all done and you arrive at this place and it's shiny and there aren't any problems. Like sometimes I really want that. It's like my great promised land where I'm going to finally be in this place where there aren't any problems, but being here for it all. It's not just the good stuff. It can be good stuff and being here for it all. Be here and be okay with it instead of creating a lot of extra pain for ourselves where we're arguing it shouldn't be happening. Being here for it all. The question that I wrote down that I love, I'm going to probably start practicing it is when she noticed when she was really angry with somebody and then she went inside and she asked herself, Where have I done that to someone else? My friend, that takes courage because you're angry at somebody, probably crossed a boundary, and then you're willing to go in and look inside of you to see where you may have done it and to own your story. And here's something that's really important. You've heard me say this probably a thousand times is when you go in and you ask that question, You're not allowed to beat yourself up. You're not allowed to then use that as the weapon and allow self-hatred and self-talk come at you. It's about owning your story and loving yourself, as Brene Brown says, owning your story and loving yourself. And then if you want to change that behavior, you can rewrite it. You can make deliberate change. You can make a commitment to yourself without doing it perfectly, but commit to it. So you can't make changes without having an awareness. Oftentimes, the things that we judge about other people are the things that we don't like about ourselves. So it's really important. I love how she talked about 
Where have I done that to someone else? That is a great question to ask ourselves and go ahead and write that down. So what is your why bother story? Notice when you may say, oh, why bother? Why bother? Why bother doing this? Or why bother being that? And notice and dig around and get curious and ask that question and explore and being in that space. And there's a lot of uncertainty in that because those of us who are overachievers, we're like, but I need to get the right answer. Which one's going to be the right answer? Jen's not here. Karen's not here to tell me it's the right answer. Explore, pay attention. There is no right answer, my friend, but explore and pay attention. And as we talked about in the show, I think about that. Like if you're a trailblazer, I think that was the word I was looking for, you know, and you're leading the pack and you're out ahead and these are new trails that nobody's ever done. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to use more brain juice. You're going to use more energy as you're moving forward, moving through versus if you're following somebody else and the path has already been created that takes less energy. So when you're in this why bother space, you may be trailblazing in an area of your life. And there may be all these different things that you've done. And it's about bringing them together onto this journey for you. So as you move on from the show today, I invite you to think, why bother? And go inside and listen to the rumble allow the experience to unfold and be okay if you don't have the answer right now. Remember, we talked about the transactional mindset. So often we think, well, if I have this question, I should have this answer. Your brain is not Google. (laughs) I used to have to tell myself that a lot. Your brain is not Google, Corinne. So allow it to explore and to cultivate it. And then what happens is all of a sudden you see it clearly, which you couldn't see before but it takes time and it's messy. And that's something again, that Jen and I were talking about this cultural programming that we have, that it's not allowed, right? It's supposed to boom, 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 look like this. Her book is supposed to launch. And then this is what's supposed to happen. Except nobody ever wrote a manual about how to get through a global pandemic and launch a book. Right. And so I said, what if we called BS to that? So what if you called BS to whatever it is you think that this process of why bother should be and just allow it to be and be here for it all. All right, my friend, until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.